The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live today. If you are a human, it is likely that you've had hurt, you've been hurt, and you're not sure what to do about it. What may be even less likely is knowing how to find a road to reconciliation or addressing the reality that reconciliation may not be instantly possible. It may not be possible at all. Unlike a TV series, peace isn't achieved in 15 minutes, but there may be a possibility to achieve peace. Our guest expert is Keith Wilson. He's a licensed mental health counselor who has spent years working with people who have been trying to find the road to reconciliation. He'll be drawing from his new book, The Road to Reconciliation, A Comprehensive Guide to Peace When Relationships Go Bad. He'll be offering an understanding of the pitfalls and the possibilities of reconciliation. Keith is a licensed mental health counselor and a certified alcohol and substance abuse counselor in private practice for more than 30 years. In addition to The Road to Reconciliation, his other books include Constructive Conflict, Building Something Good Out of All Those Arguments, and How to Make an Apology You'll Never Have to Make Again. Keith Wilson, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Dr. Phillips. Okay. Keith, what made you decide to write The Road to Reconciliation? Well, I was befuddled about uh, just how people can reconcile after they've been hurt um, very deeply. I've been a therapist now for more than uh, 30 years, uh, seeing all kinds of different people. Um, One group of people are folks that come in with marital or relationship problems, and they obviously um, are looking for a chance to reconcile or at least to exit uh, gracefully from a relationship. Um, The other group of people are folks who come to see me because of anxiety or depression or addiction issues. And uh, for them, uh, reconciliation is also an issue. They've often been hurt by others. They've coming away from um, a lifetime or a childhood of trauma uh, and are looking for a way of coming to some peace with that. Or uh, because of their addiction or their depression or Uh, anxiety, they've uh, hurt or disappointed other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, the focus may not be, in that case, directly on reconciliation, but having to 
come to terms with other people is definitely a part of their uh, recovery as well. So I was uh, really uh, stymied by how to help people do this. So I began to read many, many books. I probably read read about uh, two dozen to 30 books on the topic. And then I decided really the only way to figure all this out is to try to write my own book and work through many of the issues. Mm. One uh, of well, one of the things that's so pertinent in your book that comes across, maybe three things, and that is the confusion people feel, regardless of whether, what side they're on. You know, the victim who comes in, let's say someone in a marriage, and who's saying, should I stay, should I go? Should I put up with it, should I retaliate? Mm-hmm. Or the offender who's saying, you know, I didn't even realize it and I'm being blamed for something or listen, the apology thing doesn't work. If I apologize, it comes back to haunt me. There's never resolution. Mm -hmm. So there's confusion. And then there's two very important things that you mentioned that both offender and victim seem to overlook. The context, as you describe it, and also how complex struggles, arguments, and offenses are to mm-hmm. try to un- decipher and to try to somehow unravel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing people try to figure out is uh, who's to blame, who is the offender, who is the victim. And that seldom helps people get anywhere. Uh, it is something to consider a little later on when you think about uh, levels of culpability. But to start off, I really uh, assume that everybody is feeling like a victim. Everybody is feeling hurt somehow, and that's often the way things get started. Uh, Even people who have committed the most egregious offenses begin this career um, feeling victimized in in some way, and sometimes justly and sometimes unjustly feeling Mm -hmm. victimized, but they're still feeling victimized. And uh, being a victim, uh, being being put in that position is a very hazardous place. It's really difficult to know what to do with that. Uh, Many people fall into denial or they forgive too easily and uh, many other people become vindictive and some people alternate between the the two. Uh, So it's it's really hard to know what to do and uh, quite often in the process of working oneself out of victimization, um, one will commit offenses and hurt other people. Mm-hmm. This is where I think your comment about understanding the context comes into play. Sometimes I'm with the person who's being told that they're the bad one. They somehow have offended a friend, a spouse, let's even make it a friend. And they're beside themselves, under- trying to understand How could this person be mad at me? I don't even understand why this person is mad at me. And that's where I think often people jump right over the context piece 
Because once you spell it out, so let me ask you, how do you invite a consideration of the context, Keith? Well, I often tell a story about how once I was walking through New York City and I come around a corner and I saw a man holding up a woman with a gun. And I I saw this and I kind of ducked behind a building. I didn't want to be seen by the guy with a gun. And I whipped out my phone. I was going to call 911. But when I changed my position, I was able to see more of what was going on. And I saw that there was a, a movie crew there and they were shooting a movie right Um, okay so I I was by doing that I saw a little bit more of the context of what was happening and I had a better understanding often when somebody has heard us we can only see it from one point of view our own point of view Uh, but there is is a lot more to it than that Uh, Mm -hmm. you can Begin if you step back and look at the context of what happened. And, and I'm not saying the rationalization. I'm not saying the justification of what happened. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at just what are the other factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we try to figure out uh, responsibility a little bit later. Uh, but just to see other factors, then you have a better idea of what it's going to take to change things well and what we see once you start to look at the context of course is that it is complex for instance with couples or even with friends sometimes the big blow-up is about a fairly small issue mm-hmm. but there's been accumulation someone has been keeping a list of grievances or someone else has really continued to just explain away any of their offenses. So if you, if we just stay locked into, you said you were going to go on vacation with me, we bought the tickets and you, you, you reneged again, we're just going to stay locked into that context. But if we look back and invite the people to look back, regardless of which person we're talking with, and sometimes we're talking to both, then we see patterns that it's even important for people to see when they are either the victim or the offender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite often when it looks like somebody is overreacting to something, they're actually reacting to something that's occurring off stage. Uh, perhaps something that occurred in their past that this is reminding them of, or perhaps they are perceiving uh, a pattern of, of, of offenses. And so they're reacting more to the accumulation than to the actual, the, the, the latest event there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I know that you work a great deal with couples, and mm-hmm. we're going to get into steps of reparation. But before that, I wanted to mention something that you talk about in the book in the beginning, and that is you, what, the question of when people say they hate the partner um, and what hate is really saying in a relationship. And mm-hmm. you use the analogy of the uh, idiot light in your car. Maybe mm-hmm. you can talk a little bit about that. Well, I think all the emotions are like the idiot light in your car. Okay. They're, they're all they're all um, signals that there's something 
awry here, and you need to pay attention to it. Um, now, I, I don't believe you necessarily want your idiot light to drive the car, but uh, it is a signal to, to, to pay attention to what's going on. Now, when you're filled with hate for your partner, um, th- that can be pretty disturbing, but uh, hate really isn't all that far from love. Um, indifference is far from both hate and love. Mm. Uh, hate is, is, is telling you that um, th- there's really something wrong with this relationship and, and you better pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. You use the term uh, incompatibility, that very often that's a piece that's being overlooked in relationships that are very contentious and for which there's hate or constant fighting. And how would people, as you say, clean up the incompatibility? What do you mean when you say that? Well, incompatibility is is kind of a, a complicated subject. If you take any two people and put them together... There is going to be one person who's neater, one person who gets hornier faster, one who uh, is closer to their parents than the other. Uh, if, you, if you take any qual- quality, one is going to be more than the other. And this is a good thing in a relationship. Uh, we have two people in a relationship because we, for the same reason we have two eyes and two ears so we can get um, some perspective. You can uh, get a different perspective on things. So having somebody that you're in relationship with who's different than you is an advantage to the relationship. Where it goes wrong is when you begin to devalue this other point of view. You begin to say that it's crazy or pathological. And maybe you, for instance, with your kids, you start to um, um, be strict with the kids because your partner is is often very easy with them. And then the, the couple gets further and further apart, uh, mm-hmm. and more and more polarized. And then you really start to have problems. One of the things that, this brings to mind for me, and I've been married for over 40 years, is at some point incompatibility can be addressed with the consideration that it's the differences that actually may be the gold in the relationship. The point at which Mm -hmm. people stop fighting over the fact that he is not the neatest person in the world and or she is someone you know, who really is not good with money, become, they. there are certain predictable arguments couples can have. Oh, it's the clean the kitchen argument. Oh, it's the who, be, who you know, who, who balanced the checkbook argument. The point at which the couple, the, the two friends, or in this case, a married couple or longtime partners realize that she's not going to get better at math. And he's never going to really automatically pick up in the kitchen is the point at which those arguments are pushed out of the way and maybe real issues come to the forefront or maybe there's just more peace. Mm -hmm. So I liked when you pointed out incompatibility may be an unfortunate source of contention, hate, 
whatever whatever feeling, as you say, emerges. But if you could invite people, and I think that's true of friends too. You may have a friend with a with a time problem. You love her, but she's never on time. Mm-hmm. And you may be someone who, for whatever reason, overtalks every possible suggestion that she makes. But the ability to see and accept the differences sometimes is, is gold and really does drop down the amount of offending and offenses. Yeah, I think one of the first steps to take when you're feeling um, injured by something that somebody did is to uh, really go and take stock of what has been harmed, uh, just what are the damages. Great. Now, now sometimes uh, you'll find that you've really been minimizing what the damages are, um, and and you really need to pay attention to what what that is. But what also happens, and this has been more true in my own life, is is when I take stock of feeling injured, I find that really nothing much has really been harmed. Um, so uh, at that point, then it's it's pretty easy to 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 forgive the person that that's a really good point we're gonna we're gonna take a brief break you've been listening to psych up live and we're speaking with keith wilson he's the author of the road to reconciliation a comprehensive guide to peace when relationships go bad stay with us we're going to take on the steps of reparation we'll be right back Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Accidents, injuries, hazards of all kinds. It seems like everything you do has something dangerous attached to it. Everyday safety is important to us all. Yet where can you get the information you need to prevent injuries and accidents? Tune in for Todd Murray and his program, Safety is Your First Choice. From safety in the home to the car in your workplace, as well as anywhere that you need to be prepared, he'll cover a range of topics. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Keith Wilson, licensed mental health counselor and someone who's really an expert in terms of working with people who have gotten into contentious situations, couples who are seeking a road to reconciliation. That's the name of his book. And Keith is going to speak a bit about the steps of reparation, which are beautifully described in Chapter 6 of his book. Keith what do you mean the steps of reparation? Well, uh, the steps of reparation begin, if you're starting from the viewpoint that you are a victim, uh, the first step would be to assess the damages, uh, to look at both the positives and negatives of the relationship, uh, consider whether the injury is likely to be repeated and take stock of the one thing of yours that really can't be taken away by anybody, and that's the choice of how to respond. Then look at the context, the larger picture of whatever happened, and take responsibility for whatever your own contribution to the problem has been, whether you contributed to it before it happened or since it has happened. And then to uh, develop a plan. So I, I ask people to write up a, um, a statement of responsibility. And I, I think it's important to do this in writing, even though you may not ever show what you wrote to anybody. Simply because um, when people write things out, they uh, look at things a whole lot more carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will ask them to actually spell out what it is that they feel responsible for, what their errors were, uh, and then to also uh, consider what other choices they had. Mm-hmm. Um, I also ask them to write about and speculate sometimes how their action affected the other person or people. Uh, sometimes you don't know what that is, but uh, just to to say what whatever you think. The reason that that, let me just stop you for a minute and say, the reason that that is so important is because very often the person who's the offender has gotten pushback from the victim. You did this to me. What's wrong with you? The next time you do it, it's over for us. And that person does not inform the offender, Keith, of what the impact has really been. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for the offender, for the victim to be able to say, you know, I'm physically hurt from having to follow your guide that we go on this kind of a tour when you know I have some injuries. Emotional impact, anger, fear, PTSD, social implications, being embarrassed in public. So when the person's writing, Keith, often they're so defensive about, I didn't mean it, it's one more round of me being the bad one, 
writing the effects, when you write, speak in the book of taking into account the damage in many different ways, physically, socially, emotionally, it does help the offender who may or may not have been uh, aware of what he or she was doing to really take stock with the impact, mm-hmm. the, the effect of the action, as you say. And I think that writing it is really important. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be very difficult to really capture what the impact has been. Uh, quite often, people have been victimized and traumatized are in therapy for for weeks or months before they really uh, uh, understand the full impact of, of whatever happened. So I, I think it is understandable if you have trouble with that part of it. But I, I think uh, making an attempt to say that whatever I did it matters. It makes a difference. It, it it made an impact in your life. That that's really the important part. Have you ever been in the situation, Keith, where you worked with a couple and they came in at odds and they talked about it, and some of the issues of responsibility and the impact was discussed, and after that, they separately wrote statements of responsibility. Oh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, um, in cases like that, when couples come to see me and they're still pretty early in the process, I really prefer to work with them individually because I believe the first part of this journey towards reconciliation is a personal journey, uh, especially if they're both claiming to be the victim. Um, uh, it doesn't go very well if if they're both in the same room right. doing this, right? Um, so I, I think they, they they need to really look inside and to come to some fuller understanding of whatever happened first before they're able to work with uh, their partner. And, and I should add that not it. Not every two people are able to work together on this. Um, uh, reconciliation is a, a goal that not everybody makes it to. I, I'm talking about full reconciliation here. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not everybody is able to do it. And certainly um, it, what always happens is one person is ready to work on that before the other one is. So, um, but that shouldn't lead you to despair because even though you may not ever be able to fully reconcile with your your partner, your loved one, you can still achieve some um, degree of personal peace. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes when I'm thinking about the statement of responsibility, if we if we look at the complexity. Sometimes there's been an original offense and the victim decides to retaliate. Uh And now the original offender has become the victim. So since it's such a knee jerk for all of us, how do you address that urge for revenge and retaliation? Uh, Yeah, the urge for revenge is just another one of the errors that 
people make when they are feeling victimized. It's it's an attempt to right or wrong, but it doesn't really do that. It, it just leads uh, them into more pain and more more heartache. Um, what I think is more productive is to, uh, instead of trying to find a way to punish the other person for whatever they did to, to see what they need to do to uh, make things right again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I say to people about revenge is not only then have you been wounded by this person, but you're now allowing that person to dictate your behavior because yeah. generally you would not be a person who would plan to key someone's car. Yeah. So you're now in a place that does not really is not consistent with your authentic self. But for a minute, let's go back to the, just so we're going with the steps. So the, so you're first admitting the nature of the wrong. Mm -hmm. And one way to help do that is literally write a statement of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about, you talk about beware of denial. Maybe let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, there, there's um, lots of ways of engaging in denial. Um, the first is to deny the fact of whatever happened, and that's the most um, crude way of being in denial, and, and, but it's not usually what you see. Um, mostly people will deny that they were responsible for what happened, or they'll deny that there was an impact, or uh, they'll deny the need for help. Uh, there's there's a few for few ways of engaging in denial, and then obviously offenders will engage in denial. Sometimes they'll say that um, what they did was not so bad, but also victims engage in denial. They 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 um, look upon that as as a way of putting their head down and going going on with the relationship despite um, problems. Mm-hmm. rather than to actually bring up the problems and work their way through it. One complication that I have come across with people, Keith, is someone stops talking to them, someone that really has, is, they have a meaningful relationship with, could be a relative or a very dear friend. And when, and they're so shocked by it. And when they ask about it, the person accuses them of something. Um, they, they didn't treat them well. For years, they've been ignoring them. And the person is just beside themselves. They can't relate to the accusations being made against them. And they don't even know how to proceed because any attempt to proceed, they're shut off mm-hmm. by, by, the, by the person who they once had a loving relationship with or a deep friend relationship. Where does that person go? Well, for that person and in, in that kind of situation, I suggest that they set aside their thoughts about the relationship with their loved one for a minute and to go back in the history of their relationship and take stock at of whatever mistakes they think they re, they actually think they made with with the other person and um, there are always some uh, it, it is difficult to live with anybody without making some mistakes with them. 
uh, not being there for them at a particular time or saying the wrong thing is, is very common. Uh, and that just take, take stock of that and admit that they could be mistakes and uh, imagine what the impact of that might be. And then if you really do feel that they are mistakes, that they are things that you can do better, then uh, admit to that. Not, not, not really so that you can preserve the relationship so much, but so that you can be a better person for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, then, and then go from there. And then, um, uh, you know, talk to the person who says that you hurt and, and see if you can come together on that kind of basis. I, I, I really like what you're saying, and it touches on another very key point that you mentioned throughout the book. Despite your apology, you need to accept the fact that there are some people who are done with a relationship with you. You give yeah. the example of the woman who was abused as a child and the father, and this I've heard in my office over many, many years, the father wants to show up to walk the bride down the aisle and the girls, she's well done with him. There's no mm-hmm. way that's going to happen. And so I like what you just said. You, you don't make an apology or you don't own what you did because you want to guarantee now that everything's going back. An apology is never a je- get out of jail free card. And it's also not necessarily a fix all. Maybe the worst thing you could do once you apologize is demand that the person accept it. That's mm-hmm. not an apology. And I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. An apology is really not the goal here. Uh, an, the, the verbal apology is 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 a promise to do better. Um, so you haven't really delivered anything when you've apologized. You've only promised to deliver. Uh, the delivery is when you do something different. When faced with the same kind of choices, you make a different kind of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you talk a lot about one of the titles of your sections, an important chapter, is that making amends is better than making apologies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so just talk briefly about it, then we're going to take a break. So when you say that, what do you mean? Uh, amends is um, uh, choosing to do something different, uh, and and usually what works best is to um, make some kind of daily amends. Uh, so, for example, the the guy who um, smashes up the furniture it probably doesn't do it very often. So, making amends, uh, you know, not smashing up any furniture, it's going to take a long time before. Any kind of a change like that uh, seems apparent. But if he talks about his feelings in a respectful way every single day, that's something. That, that's amends that he's making uh, on a daily basis that's going to lead to probably less mashed up furniture. Mm. One of the things I thought of with this, and it fits a bit, is you know, in terms of the Me Too movement, it's one thing to apologize for years of abusing women, let's say if it was women on your staff, it's something up else to set up a fund for women and the and in some way, um, some sort of foundation that does the opposite of abuse. 
uh, mm-hmm. fosters support, provides education, provides legal means, um, but amends, as you say, send a very different message than an apology. But we're going to talk more about that. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Keith Wilson. As you can hear, he's really an expert on reconciliation. He's the author of the book, The Road to Reconciliation, A Comprehensive Guide to Peace When Relationships Go Bad. Stay with us. Much more to come. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Beauty is always a reflection of how we are taking care of ourselves from the inside, and our business is no different. Building your business brand is a direct reflection of you. In today's competitive landscape, personal and proven leadership skills can ensure that our brands and businesses succeed. Join host Bonnie Bonadeo and visionary guest experts to help you find success. Tune into beautiful brands inside and out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Keith Wilson about the path and the road to reconciliation, <coughs> reparation, apologies. We were just talking about the fact that an apology is meant to invite healing, but it's no guarantee that the relationship is going to turn into the one relationship you want. Now, one of the things that you describe in the book, Keith, is that sometimes it's really hard to imagine reading your your uh, what you've written about your statement of responsibility 
to the person that you really had the contention with and that you've hurt in some way. Mm-hmm. And you described that there are benefits in somewhat somehow reading or discussing this with a neutral third party. Can we speak a little bit about that and the benefits? Sure. I think one thing that really gets in the way of um, true reconciliation is uh, what shame does to people. Um, and and I, I want to be very precise about my use of the word here um, and how shame is distinct from guilt. Uh, quite often, people use those two words interchangeably. But uh, increasingly, when uh, us people in the field use those two words, we mean different things. Um, shame is when you feel bad about who you are, and sh- and guilt is when you feel bad about what you have done. So, um, the reason we want to understand the difference between the two of them is the effect that they have. Uh, guilt will help you identify uh, what you did wrong. It will uh, give you some empathy towards the victim. It will tell you that you can do better and it'll get you uh, more on the path of reconciliation than shame will. When people feel shame, they primarily just simply want to hide. And if they can't hide, then they use a lot of other means to protect themselves from this very powerful feeling. They get angry, they make excuses, they blame other people. Um, and they uh, try to distract themselves with addiction and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, what confession to a neutral party often does is it gets the person past this barrier of shame. Uh, if it's too hard to face the person who you hurt and a person who might be vindictive and retaliatory, Uh, then it can feel safer to talk about what you did to somebody who really doesn't have a stake in the matter. Uh, This can be a counselor, of course, but it can also be uh, a friend or a clergy person or someone who you think is going to uh, listen to you. Um, So this can be a very important step. Mm -hmm. And, And also, when you confess to a neutral third party, they can help prepare you for um, uh, talking to the person who you might have harmed. Uh, First of all, you can talk to them about whether that's a good idea. Uh, It's not always a good idea to go to the person that you harmed and talk about what happened. Uh, That can sometimes re-traumatize them or um, just create some more harm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the, the way you talk to a person you harmed really matters. If, if you go and make a poor apology and try to make excuses for your behavior, then that can really set the relationship back worse than if you uh, didn't speak at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the whole idea even of forcing amends on someone can feel intrusive and like another injury. So I I like what you're underscoring that the idea of checking with a third party whether or not it makes sense to proceed 
with an apology, it, it seems to make a lot a lot of sense, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the areas in terms, and this really fits in with um, making amends and the statements of responsibility, they really kind of light up in your book. You talk about affairs and mm-hmm. the road to reconciliation. And so... The question that people always ask is, can there be a marriage after an affair? Mm-hmm. And connected with that is, what if the partner who's been betrayed never brings it up? What if the partner who's been betrayed never stops bringing it up? What if the spouse wants to end the affair and just never mention it? What? How do you conceptualize some of these dilemmas in terms of how we get back on the road to reconciliation with couples? Yeah, well, that's a very complicated question because yes. um, uh, there's there's a lot of different points of view. Um, if you're um, the person who had the affair and maybe your spouse, you believe your spouse doesn't know about it, um, and you you believe that this was the wrong thing to do and you want to rectify the situation, um, then I would start by uh, uh, writing up the statement of responsibility and, and what you imagine the impact is. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, do this, do this personally and then talk about what happened with somebody who is a neutral third party and discuss whether it's a good idea to confess this to your partner or not. Um, I think usually it's better to bring it up than, than not because um, uh, usually your partner knows something about it anyway. Right. And, and, and also you have to answer the question of what kind of relationship you want to have with this, with your partner and what kind of question, what, what kind of a relationship your partner wants to have with you. Uh, do you want to have an honest relationship? Do they want to have an honest relationship? Not everybody does, but I think most people do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you want to have a relation, an honest relationship, then, you know, you got to be honest mm-hmm. and, um, and, and put it all out there. And sometimes, speaking to your point, over the many, many years that I've practiced, my my position is if both want to repair the marriage and they both have the goal of reconnection with honesty, there's, there's no marriage that can't be worked on and no marriage that can't be repaired. That being said, when someone says it's better that he never knows or it's better that she never knows, those marriages, even though they work on them, don't hold often, Keith, because as you point out in the book, really, you know, secrets mean things have to be set hidden. Secrets mm-hmm. mean inauthenticity is what may predominate. And so the real question I like when you say, what kind of relationship do you want and does your partner want? And it's pretty tricky when secrets are part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, very often... Someone says they apologized and they come to me after they're reconnected, but one will not stop reminding the other of their betrayal. And that becomes, in and of itself, 
something that wounds the original person who did the betraying. I wonder if you have seen that. Yeah, I, I've seen that uh, quite a bit. When uh, when a person apologizes, um, I, I usually suggest that they read or um, speak out loud a version of their statement of responsibility and um, then ask them to uh, invite the other party to add anything to it. And then they talk about how the offending party can uh, make amends. And like I said earlier, this should be some kind of a, a daily thing that they do that's different, that is somewhat related to um, the offense. And then I I urge them to meet again. Um, in the beginning, they should probably meet more than once a week to talk about how that is going uh, so that if it's going well, there's some recognition that the offending party is doing something different. And if it's not going well, then they can make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, the amends and all this should also be written down. So there's, you know, there's documentation. Um One of the things, um, Keith, that I really love that you say at some point is asking people to consider, did they really think or want to marry the perfect person? Because A, there is no person who's perfect. And B, real love doesn't have to do with perfect people. You know, real love has to do with accepting frailty in ourselves and others, vulnerability in ourselves and others, and mistakes in ourselves, even big mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's that's part of what can enforce and invite the healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's true, but but one thing to also to consider is is matters of safety. Um, yes. And and obviously I'm talking about physical safety here, but but also um um the the safety that you feel when you can trust that it's not going to happen again. Yes. Right. So it, it, people do not find peace when they're not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. So if if you're feeling safe, unsafe in the relationship, then um, then you got to do something different or or get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, making amends doesn't matter if, in fact, the same portrayal happens again. Right. There's no there's no way to feel safe. And I, I love that you're using the word safe because I don't really think there can be real intimacy and happiness if there's no safety. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think in the beginning of, of um, the restitution process, the victim is probably not going to feel terribly safe. Uh, he or she is going to feel very skeptical. Uh, as a matter of fact, out of everybody in in the offender's world, probably the victim is going to be the most skeptical right. of 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 whatever um, change happens, and that is a good thing. It is a necessary thing. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let me just say this: in the interest of time, uh, you're bringing up things that people really have to account for. Sometimes we could say to the victim, just let it unfold if you can tolerate it. 
and see if, in fact, there really are changes. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as we said at the beginning of the show, it's not a sitcom. It's not going to happen in 15 minutes. But you'll know the signs. And you'll know, remember, everything we think starts out in how we feel. We feel our way into our thoughts. If you feel unsafe, you feel unsafe. So I'm, I'm glad you're underscoring that. Keith, what would... I want to tell people how they can find your book. Let, let me start by doing that. How could folks find you and the wonderful things you've written online? Uh, you can find the book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, you can go to my website. Uh, I have two. Uh, there's the roadtoreconciliation.com, and uh, there's another website called keithwilsoncounseling.com. Uh, in the second one, uh, I have my blog where I'm uh, writing on these topics and also uh, what is essentially probably going to be drafts of my next books. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's also where you find information about my practice. If you live in the Rochester, New York area and want to see me, then um, maybe we can talk about making that happen. Great. I want people to know that you're also a photographer and a novelist. His novels are Intersections and Fate's Janitors. This is a very interesting one. Mopping Up Madness at a Mental Health Clinic. I can only imagine that one. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Keith, as we end our show, um, and I want to thank you, what take-home message would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I would like to say that um, these are universal topics, being hurt and hurting other people is um, the type of thing that uh, we grow with. Um, I'm reminded of when my kids were small, um, some person gave my son a um, a rock tumbler. uh, And and what he did was he uh, would go out in the yard and pick up these scraggly rocks and put them in this rock tumbler and add some water and that thing would clatter in the basement all the live long day and night <laughs> and drive everybody nuts. But when we were done, when it was done, uh, he turned it off and reached in and when he uh, took the stones out, they were polished gems. Wow, yeah. And, and, and I think that's a good metaphor for what relationships are. Uh, we tumble against each other. And if we, if we stick with the process, then we, uh, we become polished gems as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And Keith, thanks for your work in this area and for joining us on Psych Up Live. It was a thrill to be here. Thanks so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site by 6 p.m. on the evening in which it's aired in the afternoon at 2. Now, it's a podcast on iTunes, Skitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Alexa and iHeartRadio so you can find the show as a podcast. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.